0: Someone show me
1: the magic, Can I take you out to the well, I hope you come and see me in the movie. What a scene. Of your Hollywood song. Hello, and welcome to the Beatles Films podcast. I'm Matt Looker. I'm Ed Williamson. We're both professional film writers and fab four fans, and each week we discuss a different movie about starring or inspired by the Beatles. And we're back with part two of our discussion of 1970s Let It Be. That's right, like George Harrison, we've gone home, we've written a quick diary entry, and now we're back in Savile Row, ready to discuss Let It Be once again. And the first thing I wanted to ask you, Ed, was what did you think of the sort of the overall mix of the songs uh, in the film? Because I think one of the things that we touched upon in the first part uh, of this discussion was that it was interesting that the songs that make it onto the album aren't necessarily featured in the in the main body of the film.
0: Yes, it's interesting that uh, Get Back is so much focused on rehearsal, uh, and so you hear the same songs over and over again in slightly different guises, and yeah. obviously there's a satisfaction in Get Back of kind of watching those songs take shape. But it's fair to say it can be a bit repetitive. Um, so Michael Lindsay Hogg was obviously keen to avoid that. He wanted to keep the songs as reveals towards mm. the end, I suppose. Uh, for the most part, you do hear little bits of Don't Let Me Down and you hear uh, yeah.
1: a little bit of I Me Mine. I, I, it was interesting as well that, you know, you, you hear Long and Winding Road, but it's them doing like a, a, a Mickey Take version of it. Mm. You know, it's Paul sort of messing around. And yeah. then it's like, okay, well, you know, it's a serious song. It's like, yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. always surprises me when that happens because you must feel like this is a, it's a very moving song. Yeah. And to sort of in the studio you know having a laugh with it yeah like you know does that like is there not a part of you as the songwriter feel like you know this is probably a little bit distasteful to the song <laughs> you know do you know you know i would expect him to be a little more precious about it but it's just like putting on a funny accent and
0: yeah it must be yeah. around yeah but was funny to think of it in that context because uh, sure about long and winding road particularly but let it be didn't lennon say something like oh are we supposed to giggle during the solo you know, because like, oh, this is like a hymn in school, and yeah. um, was generally thinking, you know, this whole thing is all a bit too sort of choir master for my my tastes, you know. Mm. But actually, Paul is quite happy to sort of clown around with it a bit, you know. So again, it's like it's that narrative that persisted was that. John thought this is rubbish, this is you know this is all fake and insincere, and like you know he's le- leading us like it like we're all singing in the church choir, but i I don't get the impression Paul was being like
1: that particularly you know? no, it doesn't seem that way, does it but yeah. so so what we do get, like you were saying, is a lot of jam sessions strung yeah. together, yeah, as much as I would like sort of a little bit more of a balance that get back strikes where you see some of the, the main feature songs being rehearsed and worked on. There is something that I always really enjoy about watching them cycle through some of the old standards because I always yeah. get the impression that there's a, there's a real sort of sense of enjoyment that you can see in them like rolling out some of those like rock and roll numbers. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like you're seeing them reminisce like to the early days of the Beatles when you're seeing, you know, when they're playing some of those early songs. Yeah, you,
0: you really see, I was really struck by uh, how uh, George, when they they go into, you really got a hold on me. Yeah. And, and George is really enjoying himself, you know. So this is now in Savile Row. Uh, not that the film tells us this, but he's left the band and now now rejoined. Yes, and, and, and also
1: like the the camera pans at one point, and Billy Preston arrives on the scene. Oh yeah, he's <laughs> just, there. just he's just there now. He's, he's just, just he's just one of the Beatles, yeah. <laughs> and there's just no context provided for his arrival at all.
0: No, so I suppose the the get get back uh, and don't let me down single was issued as the Beatles with Billy Preston mm. so I suppose people would have been aware that he performed on that so I guess you know uh, to this the extent they know these are the same sessions which I, I suppose they do but like you know uh then I, I suppose it's not a huge shock to see him there but at the same time no you're, you're completely right it's just oh Billy Preston's there okay, yeah exactly yeah. you know
1: and it, it means that we we miss out on uh the line I love the most on Get Back where John suddenly cries out you're giving us a lift bill <laughs> you know, which is, and it really is true. Like you know, when, yeah, you, when yeah, yeah. you when you listen to them playing those songs, and then there was a something at it back in mind. It's like there is something missing from this dynamic, though. And then when mm. Billy Preston arrives on the scene and starts playing, it's like yes, that's it. This is yeah, this is really, uh, it's really kicking off now. Yeah, but yeah, you're saying George uh, and his enjoyment of you really got a hold on me. Um, it's, and it's a great and the, the that song is shown in almost in full in this film which is rare because a lot of the time we get yeah, clips true. and stuff, but there are certain certain sort of covers they're doing or renditions they're doing where the Michael Lindsay Hogg chooses to sort of show it more in full.
0: Yeah, I think in particular, it feels like we're seeing uh, more of that song than the other uh, non-Beatle rehearsals, other sort of non-Lennon McCartney and Harrison uh, rehearsal songs. Uh, partly because like Billy Preston has joined them uh, and uh, there seems to be a a, a sort of a a vibe that they've got going where they are performing a Smokey Robinson and the Miracles song uh, with Billy Preston on keyboards you know so it's a slightly different prospect to uh, them uh, playing one of the old more standard sort of 12 bar rock and roll standards you know.
1: There are a few other songs as well where we see sort of you know these jam sessions play out for longer i was a little bit surprised when we saw a lot of dig it Mm. we obviously we get a clip of that on the album Mm. we get a a good full few minutes of that song with lennon just sort of ad-libbing like lyrics over the top yeah Uh, and don't get me wrong like it's it's a it's a great song to hear them jam to but at that point in the film i was a bit like you haven't featured get back once yet like <laughs> yeah. where has that been like yeah. you know why are we seeing so much of this this song and not the sort of one the, the the key one yeah um especially when when they arrive in Row, i think it's george that says something like you can hear him say something in the background which is something like of all the songs they've just practiced get back was the only good one right and okay. it's like well that's dropped in this film out of nowhere like if we don't have the context of the <laughs> songs like you, you'd be left thinking what song was that
0: yeah yeah Uh, uh, Dig It is also a uh, it's supposed to be about 20 minutes or so that that jam and we only hear (laughs) we only hear a bit of it one of the strange things about it is that along with Dig a Pony it it has been edited slightly from the film to the record so Mm. Dig It has been edited in a way where like the on beat has shifted to the off beat or vice versa it, and I, I presume it's not that it's a different take because it, it is the take where Lennon is in, uh, improvising those vocals, you mm-hmm. know, you know, uh, you know, Doris Day, It'd Matt Busby, like, yeah. all, all that stuff. And and it, on the record, it's the on beats and on the film, it's the offbeat or, or perhaps the other way around. <laughs> yeah. And then with Dig a Pony, uh, it starts off with the all I want is you as an intro and then they go into the verse, which is not yeah. the case on the record. I suppose that's a Phil Spector edit. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it must
1: be. Yeah, I think you're right. I remember the Dig a Pony difference. I I was aware of that for the first time with the release of Get Back. Yeah, me too. The other great thing I like about that uh, in this film, though, that particular song, is uh, you see John playing Dig a Pony uh, and clearly trying to work through the song. Paul is sort of nearby and sort of working out bass parts and trying to sort of like play along with him they're obviously trying to work on the song together mm. between them is yoko uh reading a newspaper yeah and you do get the sense that there's a there's, there's not much energy in that scene yeah. as they're trying to work through the song together and then you see him do it for like a minute or so and then ultimately john just stops and says has anyone got a fast one like, yes, he, yes, like he does, he's yeah, like he's yeah, getting like yeah. bored of it himself and he's like look can we just like kick things up <laughs> yeah, on it's his, his own shit. song <laughs> <just that>? yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> you,
0: you really get a sense that uh going back to the familiarity of the rock and roll standards is just a good way to just lift the room and get some energy yeah. going you know? yeah
1: and it goes back to that same thing of um what they've always said is that when you actually got them in a room playing music together all of the differences and tensions and stuff went away yeah so um so yeah it's probably a good way just to like you say, lift the mood. It's a very
0: specific creative decision that Michael Lindsay-Hogg has made to sort of treat the songs this way and, and leave leave lots and lots on the cutting room floor. You know, it's, it's remarkable that the footage of Paul McCartney writing "Get Back" just sat in a drawer for fifty years. Yeah. Yeah. And it, But, it, but it, it's almost more remarkable that at the time Michael Lindsey Hogg thinks to himself like, nah, <laughs> leave that on the cutting room floor. But the thing that's interesting about it is like, while that is self-evidently just an amazing thing to watch, and he must have thought so, right, because he was in the yeah. room and he must yeah. have thought so when he was cutting the thing together. But the decision he made must have been based on, no, I, I'm leaving Get Back until the end
1: like yeah. that's my big uh well, the, the decision song. he actually makes is i'm going to leave get back to the end where i'm going to have it plays two and a half times yeah because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's it starts the rooftop gig it yeah. ends the rooftop gig yeah. and then you hear it play again as it comes up with the, the end yeah. yeah so yeah it's it's it feels like it's the signature song of the film which is why it's even more baffling that he, he couldn't just go back, back on that rule once and just show Paul, mm. even even without the context of well, what it then eventually becomes you know like just yeah. having him bashing out the chords and working on it like uh, when get back was released you know uh, sort of a common thing that you'd hear said about that whole series is that it was like a masterclass in songwriting mm. and, and that's i think that's how i view it like it was it's really interesting the, the most interesting about it is seeing how the band developed the songs into the classics that we know of them now, Yeah. which makes it just so interesting to me that Michael Lindsay hogg didn't see the value in doing that with this footage and yeah. instead decided to show a band that were rehearsing numbers, almost like rather than show the band as songwriters, we want to show them as a garage band. <laughs> I guess it's kind of like the difference yeah. in my mind, you know? Yeah. Uh, and also talking about showing the band as songwriters uh I guess one of the things that is featured in this film I think it's from a slightly different angle than what we see in get back though is um George helping ringo out with octopus's garden yeah which is quite
0: yeah. nice to see it's nice to see yeah yeah and, you know and 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 to be clear like a, a literal different camera angle is what you mean yes. as opposed oh, yes. to a different a different take on things you yeah 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 it's not a different
1: approach or different angle yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah, it's it's really nice watching that. The, the others were always so supportive of Ringo, you know. I think I would always heard that when to sort of uh, encourage him to hit the high note at the end of With A Little Help From My Friends, they were all kind of standing around him around the microphone, just kind mm. of like, you know, in, encouraging him along, you know. I mean, you know, Don't Pass Me By was a song that he had been writing on and off for five or six years by the time they actually recorded it, as I understand
1: it. Uh, but- there was that, in- that early interview, isn't there, where someone uh, the, the interviewer asks Ringo if he writes songs too, and yeah. then Paul starts singing it. Yeah, that's, of course. And it's years yeah. before it got released. Yeah, 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 of course. Ringo, how about your songwriting? How's that coming on? Oh, yes, I, I've written a good one, you see, but yes? no one seems to want to record no. No. it. No. Oh, Paul We've may got record it the... on. And, no. no.
0: Yes, Paul, you no, promised. We, okay. Oh, no, Paul. I was doing the tune for you to sing no i don't want to sing you sing don't pass style. me by oh you song, song, yeah baby.
1: don't pass me by don't make me cry don't make me blue baby because you know why <laughs> oh, i got I the asked. ice
0: cream for you i got yeah Oh, well, it's a sensation. You sensational all those words yeah blues and all that <laughs> he's a dylan thomas of liverpool isn't he an octopus's garden uh it's nice to see that he's sort of got the idea and he's played the piano chords are quite basic and George is uh, just helping him out with it, you know, as he did with lo- lots of songs. There are quite a few Ringo solo songs that are credited to Ringo as a writer. Uh, that George, uh, quite selflessly, not that he wrote them completely, but he certainly helped him out quite sure. a lot in in a way that really should, you know, could have said, this is a co-write, you know. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, he could say that about some Lennon and McCartney songs, yeah, to be honest. Yeah. And the nice thing is that George is kind of like uh, uh, laughing. And, and he's sort of looking off, looking off to someone else, you know, sort of off camera, while yeah. Ringo's doing it, because he seems to be, it just seems to please him a lot, you know, like oh, isn't this great? He's doing this too, you know.
1: Yeah, because I, I, that's interesting to me because I, I guess I, I found it a bit difficult to interpret that yeah. moment because George is obviously helping Ringo with the the, the chords of the song and is obviously helping him constructively with writing the song, but when you see George then sort of. Laugh to someone off camera while Ringo's playing it I think there's a reading of that which is like oh George sees this as a sort of fun throwaway novelty kiddie type song Mm, yeah as opposed to what you're suggesting there which is actually that it's him laughing because he's like just really pleased that Ringo is is you know working on a song and and it's really nice for him to see and be a part of
0: yeah, yeah. And
1: that it's good as well, by the way. Yes, you know? yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah.
0: Octopus's Garden is a good song. Yeah, you know? of course. It, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it would be, you know, I, I know that I think that maybe collectively we've all kind of got past this idea that all, all of the Beatles sort of uh, uh, slightly childlike songs are, are, are bad ones, you know, mm. uh, because they weren't serious or worthy enough. You do see it expressed every now and again still. But, you know, Octopus's Garden is a really good song. You know? Yeah. A song like that is, is not as popular and well-known as it is without it actually being good and well constructed, and and yes, a lot of that's to do, it was to do with George, but you know a lot of it's to, uh, to do with Ringo as well. You know, you,
1: you can't also um, we we often sort of contextualise what the Beatles mean to us at different times, and I don't think you can oversell the importance of a song like Octopus's Garden in introducing the Beatles to sort of young primary school kids yep. who like me learned that and yellow submarine and maxwell's silver hammer of all songs um (laughs) to sing to in uh, in in class assembly the three of those were you know where on the overhead projector the lyrics would go up on a screen and the whole class would you know the headmaster would bash them out on the piano and we all sang along to the songs and those are the ones that we learned to sing
0: yeah hey kids here's a song about a serial killer
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's got a nice tune
0: (laughs) yeah oh fair enough then uh, but, no, yeah, exactly. I sang Octopus's Garden at school and Yellow Submarine as well, I think. You know, Obla Di, Obla Da a little bit Oh, well, and think, did yeah.
1: yes, exactly. That was everyone. yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of it was just down to which songs my headmaster was able to play on the piano. <laughs> <laughs>
0: was he a bit like Ringo then?
1: It's like, you know, yeah. he, had, he only knew sort of three chords. Yeah, so that was okay. it, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> was your headmaster Ringo Starr? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like, George does seem to be enjoying himself. Uh, quite a lot at at times you know there's another bit i was really struck by which i I didn't remember seeing elsewhere like in in the get back roof rooftop footage where when kevin harrington is kneeling in front of john with the lyric sheet and then at one point george also kneels in front of him and does this sort of guitar hero yeah, pose. Yeah, I saw... I noticed that as well. I, I don't, don't remember seeing that I, yeah, before. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that before.
1: Yeah, um, I, don't, I, was, I was trying to work out what he's going to do. I thought, oh, is he, is he trying to fix something like a, uh, a piece of equipment or a you know, yeah, pedal yeah, yeah. or something? But no, he just kind of does it and... Poses in front of John a bit and then gets back up again. Yeah, yeah,
0: he's yeah, he's uh,
1: he does seem to be enjoying
0: himself. You know, he's the one who was saying, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to go up on the roof, you know. Um, but then when he gets there, he enjoys it. And also, he's the one who is played upon more in get back than it is here. But like when Mal has to come and turn off the amp, and then George turns it back on and keeps yes, on, that's right, yeah, keeps on playing along. Um, you know, he's, he's so. I mean, part of that might just be sort of a natural rebellious spirit more than uh, loving the music itself but he's, yeah i think
1: he's enjoying himself and i think when the film sort of comes to an end and we have the songs presented in their sort of more final completed state george's songs aren't in that selection yeah so it so i think it's quite interesting that we have we see for you blue yeah being played um and john doing like the, uh, the slide guitar uh, yeah. effect and uh, enjoy and then there's there's also we see the bit where uh, George plays I'm Your Mind for the first time and explains it's a bit of a, a heavy waltz I think is how he describes it
0: heavy waltz yeah he says I don't, I don't care if you
1: use it or not yeah, 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 yeah. It just, it just, but it is, it's so like that that descending note bit in the like second verse of "I'm in Mind" like always gets me. I, I've always really liked that song yeah. for how it's how he's arranged it on guitar. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is interesting to me that those songs are seen as being separate from the real Beatles songs. You know, if we if we look at this as a at the end of the film, the what we get is as we head into like sort of the, the concluding scenes of the film essentially the three songs that they can't play out on the rooftop yeah. uh, which are Long Winding Road Let It Be and Two Of Us yes and then we have the rooftop gig uh, so actually those
0: three songs were as we know from Get Back were actually shot the day after the rooftop gig
1: that's right uh, so yes. they
0: did, did the rooftop came back and did those songs and I think they're just quite
1: keen to get the thing done yes uh, so I guess at that point they weren't clear on the George songs being part of the what would eventually become the album.
0: No, I suppose not. So for you, Blue, yeah, they've been filmed doing that. I'm in Mine, uh, so the, the whole reason that George and Paul and Ringo got together in January 1970, the last ever Beatles recording, well, until uh, until the 90s, uh, the, <laughs> the last uh, Beatles, the first Threetels recording session <laughs> uh, to record I'm Mine properly, which they hadn't done, Uh, was specifically because it was in the film and was going to be needed for the soundtrack album. Yes. In order that it was actually represented on the album because it was going to appear in the film.
1: It's interesting that despite those songs being nearly completed, as we see in this film, they're not deemed to be important enough to be considered as the main songs that the band then capture... Uh, in a more sort of completed state.
0: Yes, okay, yeah. Yeah, because they are very... Those three songs that they're performing downstairs the day after the rooftop performance that we Mm -hmm. see in the film just before the rooftop performance are being very specifically performed... And shot almost as music videos, yes, in, a, in a way. Okay.
1: Yeah. You know. I'm thinking of, of Paul looking directly down the camera, unless it be yeah. like that, that famous footage of him looking all doughy-eyed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And uh, Long and Winding Road is kind of the same thing as well, you know. Um, yeah, two of us as well, the way that is shot is Paul is kind of front and centre. Because I think I mentioned uh, in, in, in part one uh, of this episode that John had a complaint that this whole thing was being framed around Paul. And and I said actually there are places where uh, I can see what he means, and this is what I'm talking about. Um, so obviously, let it be and long and winding road there are essentially being shot. You know, a way you could think of it is that these are being shot as as uh, a Paul McCartney music video where, yeah, where he's, where, yeah, he's also- got, where he's got musicians playing with him. You know, but. But uh, but I mean to to be fair that it, there is a piano led song that's the kind of obvious way to film it. But more interesting is the way that two of us is filmed. Yes, because that, that that is also like a music video, because it's Paul who is looking not quite straight into the camera, but he is kind of slightly off to one side, and the whole group is being framed in one shot, playing the thing at once. Yeah. So I I, I can kind of see John's complaint there. But again, like these are Paul's songs. You know, if you it, if you if your complaint is this, this is all being framed around Paul.
1: Write more songs. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah, know? exactly, well, quite. We should probably point out that, in case anyone listen isn't aware, that Michael Lindsay-Hogg, having uh, directed this film, had previously directed Beatles music videos. Of course. Sometimes yeah. people yeah. Um, yeah. refer to them as the first music videos. Right. Yeah. So he had previously. Uh, directed The Paperback Writer and Rain Videos and also was responsible for Hey Jude and Revolution. Yep. And also, after Let It Be, went on to direct The Two of Us. Quite right. The other two of us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The film that we covered in our very first episode of this podcast back yeah. in season one. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting that, that I guess having had history of of filming actual music videos for the band there is a, a clear division in this film where there is a, a segment begins of like you say what is essentially a music video versions of these songs yeah and they are just capturing live performances mm. but you can you can really tell that there is a, a, a in, instinctively a clear difference in style as to the rest how the rest of the film is shot
0: yeah and also what's happening is they're just done in a row you yes. Know, which yeah. it, And kind of the last third of the film is kind of song. I mean, I, I know the whole thing is really songs being performed, but it is punctuated a bit by a dialogue and conversation and also just short snippets of rehearsal of different things. But when it gets to the point of uh, we, we are now just seeing entire songs being performed, start to finish, one after the other, without a break in between, it does lose a bit of pace at that point you know yes it, it, make, it makes it drag a bit i mean yeah you know, the great songs i like i like watching them you know and and that is kind of what the film is for is just to show the songs really yeah of course yeah so it, so it makes sense but you know the those three in a row it was a bit like in give my regards to broad street when they made that kind of editing choice to have the band perform was it two yes. maybe even three I think songs it was three songs in it was a like row him, him and rock pile yeah. you know one of the ones uh not such a what's it called not, so uh, not Such a Bad Boy No yes, More no, that's right No More No More whatever it's uh, yeah, called um, yeah and, and it just and it completely takes you know all the pace out of- it feels like it's padding yeah you know, like the, the
1: stories the, the point in the script is uh, Paul goes to rehearse with his band mm. and they realise that the film is coming in 20 minutes shorter than it needs to so it's like well He needs to rehearse for a bit longer then, doesn't he? You know, and they just play three songs in full.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Speaking of films with no narrative. (laughs) (laughs) The The other thing about those particular performances as well, and I think throughout this film, is that they are slightly different takes to the ones that I'm used to listening to. Yes. And I think that I'm not one of those fans that is able to say, I recognise take seven of this song versus take three yeah. uh, of it, and you know has Spotify playlists of, of them all lined up one by one next to each other, so I can point out exactly where they differ. Yeah, um, but it does. It, it, in many ways, it was actually quite refreshing watching this film as someone who doesn't do that to yeah. to hear like, oh, that was sung slightly differently, or there was a little bit of a different ad lib here or there, yes. and the guitar part slightly different there and stuff. Yeah, in a way that I also don't really remember hearing in Get Back. Yeah, I think uh,
0: Get Back is slightly different in that you're hearing so many different versions and so many rehearsal takes that uh, there is a kind of magic... Uh, they don't play a kind of magic by Queen, that <laughs> uh, but 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 there's but but there is a kind of magic in uh, when they do finally hit like the take yes. the one that you know. Yes, I it's, know what you mean. Yeah. It, it's instantly recognisable to your ears because because yeah, I mean I, I'm like you in that no, no, I can't identify. Oh, that's take seven, but I do know the the the, one. the take yes i agree yeah one. and and all the little ad libs are completely hardwired into me you know so as, as soon as that kicks off or maybe maybe just as soon as they start singing
1: yeah then i then you i kind of know the that's one. the one yeah so but it, that was why it was it was really good hearing the songs in this one even the the music video version of two of us if we're if we're allowed to call it that <laughs> yeah. um is a complete is the song in its complete form uh, yeah. And and there are differences in that than I recognised from the you know the album version uh, as it were. And I, I thought you mm. know it's just great hearing sort of a, a different take or a different rehearsal. It's, it's almost like hearing them play you know those songs live and then getting to appreciate different things about them.
0: Yeah, one of the nice things about two of us is so it's a, uh, by the way, like this being the last day of filming, I think it's the last day of filming, but certainly it's the day after the rooftop concert, mm. and I think probably. Most of them just want to get in there, get these things recorded, and go home, yeah, like it, it you know not not that you know oh we all hate each other and we don't want to be around each other anymore i don't I don't think it's quite that, but it is you know it, it, we want to be done with this project, so let's get proper definitive takes of these three songs uh and then it's over, and it's all in the canon, and then we can do what we uh, whatever we want to do with it. Uh, it given that fact, I find it really, really funny that at the end of two of us. Like when John is doing the whistling, yeah, and then just it just breaks off into just ridiculous, <whistles> <Yes. laughs> like just, just like because it's right at the end, yeah. And there's got to be a, a, a bit of you, you know, if you're Glyn Johns, just going, oh, <laughs> we so close, just, just, just so nearly done with the whole thing. Yeah. Like it was literally just the final bars of this song, the yeah. fade out and now you're just whistling nonsense and, and now I've got to do something with it, you know. I mean, George Martin would have found a way past that, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah, he, would, he would, have, uh, would have sped up the whistling uh, so that it fit the key of something else uh, in, in order to slot it together with that. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact...
1: Talking of different versions of songs, I don't remember picking up on this in Get Back uh, as much, but what's really clear in this film is right at the very end, uh when Paul sees the police arrive on the rooftop and he starts ad libbing over get back mm-hmm. and he's saying, you know, um you're you're out singing on the roof again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna get yourself arrested. Yeah. You know? yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And it's just all that's just really brilliant. And I think actually yeah. You know, I I know we would have seen that and get back, but it's it's almost I guess because it's because like you said before, because you see so many different versions of the songs uh, in that project, maybe they don't stand apart from each other as much. Whereas in here, it was really clear that, oh, you're doing a version of the song there where you're actually making fun of what's happening around you on the roof. And that's yeah. really funny to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, and I like one of the nice things also is, is just hearing the original versions of some of the ad lib conversations. Like yeah. I, I dig a pygmy. Yes, yes. Charles Hortry. Yeah, which is not an intro to dig a pony, but was actually just, well, maybe it was. Uh, but, in, but anyway, it's just a thing that he said randomly. Yes. And then they attacks it on at the start of the thing, you know. It's uh, all that stuff's really pleasing. I think you know. Uh, actually, I, th- I always think one of the reasons why with the Beatles we sort of tend to prize the outtakes as much as anything else is because they're just uh, they're often very funny. So you know, so things like on on the anthology when you get slightly slightly different
1: versions and a bit of studio chatter, the studio chatter is always just it's like gold dust. Yeah, you know, it is. Yeah, like, you know, uh, and, and it reminds me a little bit of when we covered the. Uh, love documentary yeah and you get to see a little bit of what the Cirque de soleil production is like and there's a section in that where they actually stage like a silhouette section to what is essentially beatles banter <laughs> yeah and, and right. i think there's there's real value in including that as part of a beatles production because it's so key to their 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 personality and their appeal yeah um so yeah you're right like anytime you can just get a snippet of of some chatter between them is it's always uh it's always worthwhile um going back to the rooftop gig one of the things i was going to, to talk to you about was i do feel that when we when we had the band playing on the roof what happens in the let it be film which i think differs slightly from get back is we start to see shots of the crowd gathering below on the streets but the audio is still of the band playing. So essentially, what we have is this this um, scenario where we're listening to the songs being played, and the crowd that's gathering below is effectively kind of happening almost silently. Yeah, I I remember when I was watching the, uh, the Get Back version of that, really feeling the sense of there being this sort of like hustle and bustle on the street and excitement yeah. as people, as like as a crowd is gathering and realizing that it's the Beatles playing on the rooftop and there's chatter going on and you know, people are there's there's a real build up of excitement. Um that sort of fell really flat for me here. Because I kind of mm. feel like um what you're seeing is just some people gathering. <laughs> yeah. Um there's no change in tempo or or output or anything to what you're actually hearing. Mm. It's just happening at the same time as we're hearing the band play.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think with, with Get Back, uh, uh, so much credit has to go to the, uh, the uh, like the sound mixing. On yes, that. that's true. Uh, uh, with because uh, I remember when when Get Back was announced and, and it specifically said it will include the rooftop concert in full, mm. uh, and I thought, well, how are you going to do that in a way that's satisfying? Because the rooftop concert that includes it's sort of three versions of one song, two versions of another one. I think, um, and that's a bit repetitive, isn't it? You know, and the answer is. That it goes through the whole uh, show, but also so much of it is intercut with the um, yes, with, with the people on the streets below. Uh, that the sort of narratively that carries you through the whole thing without any without any hitches, uh, and and the fact that it is always being the sound is being mixed in such a way that you are aware of that uh, that the, the volume of the sheer volume of a band playing loud electric guitars effectively in the streets yes. um, or, or from a roof above you, you know. Is, it it uh, communicates how loud that would have been.
1: Yes, you know? exactly that. Yeah, you're, you're you're absolutely right, because I think that is, you know, you're able to, when you have the technology that's, that allows for those mixes, you can create a clear differentiation between what is being played on the roof and what is being heard at a street level. Yeah. And also mix in the fact that there are people talking about it. Yeah. You know, and you just get this sense of this sort of like growing... Um, interest and growing excitement, which is which is nicely played out. Yeah, obviously in Let It Be, there are still some of those vox pop interview chats with people on the street. uh My favourite, which is still the guy who says, "It's nice to get something for free in this country for a change in it," which is <laughs> just he, brilliant. And it's, isn't he a vicar? <laughs> what, one know, of one them's a vicar. Is it the vicar who said? I don't it? know. I, I
0: remember. Think it was. I, 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 I really like the sort of older guy. Who says something along the? He says like that? No, I really like the Beatles. Actually, I think they're a cracking little crowd. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a lovely crowd. I think they says or something like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's just great. Well, he's an older guy who you would have expected to be like oh, a bunch of bloody hippies. You yes, know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But actually, it's really nice observing. The way this again that like comes across a bit better in Get Back than it does here, but it, it's really nice observing the way that the Beatles are now part of Britain's cultural fabric. Everyone knows who they are yeah. and has an opinion on them, good or bad. And yeah.
1: there's a, there's a guy who, who's like, "Is this their new record?" And he's generally excited to be like, "Am I hearing their new record yeah, for the first yeah, time? Yeah. Not in a sort of a Beatlemania fan kind of way, but mm. he's like, it's "Like, yeah, he just yeah. seems really, um, really into that idea that he's hearing it for the first time."
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, and it just it makes them feel so accessible in a way as well you know i mean you know london is a place where you know if you go and walk around the west end of london you know the bit of london where savile row is you know i mean if you do it for long enough you're going to see the old famous person you know and in in those sorts of areas but and Paul McCartney himself is sort of relatively accessible, I suppose, in that he he does still do things like take the train in mm. uh, from from Sussex to go to his office in London. And he will kind of walk to Soho Square and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah,
1: famously, I, you know, I see a lot of people talk about having seen him or bump into him or whatever. And I, I always feel like you get the impression that he doesn't mind that as long as he doesn't immediately get mobbed by people asking for a photo. Yeah, like, yeah, I think I've even seen him say in an interview or something. It's like I don't mind like people coming up to me for a chat. Yeah, but yeah, like yeah. it's it's when it's actually. Have you seen that footage of someone like starting to film him at a traffic light? Yeah, and he turns around and just spots it, and he's like, "No," mm. you know, like he like he's not yeah, not yeah, tetchy, yeah. not in a like he's annoyed kind of way, but it's like that that is a step too far, and you can kind of see how that is a bit a step too far. Someone just filming him without actually yeah. approaching him first.
0: Yeah, but there's a, there's a really nice you know the idea that you can just be working in an office in London and then the beatles start playing on a rooftop yeah. you know opposite you and actually there's a really nice it's a really nice kind of bookending in the way whereby they kind of started off playing in the cavern and uh, g- girls who worked in offices nearby would bring their sandwiches in at lunch and watch the beatles play <laughs> at lunch you know and that that was a thing you could do if you lived you know near matthew street and if you worked near matthew street in liverpool and now you know the the end of the beatles or the end of that chapter of the beatles is that a similar kind of thing like we're playing here and it's quite near where where you work you, you can just climb out of your office window onto a roof and stand and watch the Beatles. You know, it's a, it's a it's a nice idea. It's it feels uh, like a lot of what the Beatles did, and uh, like a lot of their story, it feels quite complete. You know,
1: it, but but also uh, accidentally complete. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but like but in a positive way, yeah, like yeah, serendipitous yeah, yeah. kind of way. Yes, you know, like exactly. it feels yeah. like it's um. You know, when you when you look at Get Back and all of the touring and throwing they do over what exactly this concert idea is going to be, mm. and the rooftop thing is. It's a nice idea that comes at the right time, but actually is a bit of a throwaway uh, compromise mm. when it comes. Yeah, uh, and actually it ends up just being perfect, right? It's just such yeah. a, like for, for so many reasons it's such a it's such a wonderful way for that to be their last gig.
0: Yeah, and it, and obviously in, in Let It Be, we have haven't the film. Let It Be, we haven't seen uh, the fact that there have been negotiations and conversations going on about how are we going to end this yeah. thing. So as far as you're concerned, watching Let It Be, they the entire thing has been planned the whole time to lead up to them playing on the roof.
1: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that uh, in 1970, um, the version of the story that they want to put out is this was all planned from the start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know what we're doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, one of the things also um, about, the, you know, talking about how the the crowd gathering on the streets below being played out quite silently while the band are playing uh I think loses some of its impact and some of its excitement. But one of the things I thought interestingly for me was that conversely when the police start arriving on the premises, uh and that's played silently, uh they start coming into the building uh while the band are playing Dig a Pony. Yeah. And because that's played silently, like that I think gives a really effective impression of oh, this is all going to come to a head. Like you, you, I think it adds some tension to that moment where it's like, oh, they're they're going to head off, they're going to be in for a showdown with the police, yeah. um because you you don't get the benefit of hearing the conversations that's being that are being had, which we now know from Get Back are actually quite polite, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. you know, more more about the admin than anything else, yeah. right? Yeah. But like just the police arriving and uh, and and clearly sort of addressing a disturbance you feel like oh this is building to a moment that's going to cap off this performance mm. it's just a shame then that it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. they end up just kind of walking away a bit
0: yeah kind of you know that's um you, you know that's that's what Ringo later says that you know oh I hope they own oh, Paul says it, it, it as well I think you know uh yeah let them arrest us really good end to the film yeah. yeah that'd be great you know and ringo says oh i hope they drag me off the drums you know but uh, but they didn't you know it's it's interesting that um that we now know that like the effort that went to setting up a hidden camera in the reception area and a hidden microphone in the reception area and they have all this footage um in particular of um when the more senior police officer turns up who is very british quite officious but also has a bit of a glint in his eye mm-hmm. and it's it just a lovely a, a lovely sort of side character
1: yeah
0: you know who just, if that had been a a, a a fictional thing it would have been played by a sort of a, a sort of well-loved character actor yes. you know you yeah, you'd yeah. see that kind of thing um and, like and you Sam see, Rockwell or something <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah yeah. it's the role he was born <laughs> to um you don't see him at all in this um all you see uh, of all the effort that they've gone to to set set up the hidden cameras and microphone reception you see a little bit of footage of the two junior policemen it was called ray dag and what the other guy was called uh i think he was they were all called ray weren't they i think um but um <laughs> what?
1: all the policemen
0: all just all the police well, famously the entire metropolitan police was, at, <laughs> was staffed only by men named ray at the time it was uh uh for the first hundred years or so uh, and then they realized actually, actually that's just you, not yeah that's not what. sustainable yeah no exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah for diversity of anything else you know anyway um they, they, they um you see them just kind of like talking to each other a bit you don't hear what they're saying um and it's fun it was so much this is in hindsight having seen get back of course that sort of colors yeah. you're, you're watching of the whole thing but um but you, um, but you think, well, that's that's a bit of a missed opportunity. A, a lot of it is you, you think, you know, it's a big part of you thinks that Michael Lindsay-Hogg, like, you, you made all this effort and then yeah, you, you, yeah. You, you used so little of this in the end, you know. Um, but then he had to, he, he had a tough job, Michael Lindsay-Hogg, yeah. and and by the way, he did a good
1: job. Oh yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah, of course. Know, in terms of the brief he was given, I, I think I think that's that is something that's worth um, addressing as well. In that, I think he doesn't come off the best in get back yeah uh i think i'd even go so far as to say that in certain moments in get back he comes off as a little hapless yeah um but but let it be is a good film like i am you know i'm i I think when we're talking about uh how it works as a project what it's trying to do what it's trying to convey uh and and trying to get over this Reputation that the film has of being about the band breaking up, putting all of that to one side, um, he's captured a lot of footage very well, and that rooftop gig is actually captured better than he'd expect it to, given the circumstances Mm. and the environment in which he was trying to uh, to film it. Yeah, yeah. Um, So no, it's it's a it's a successful project, um, and he probably doesn't get enough credit for that. No, uh, very true. Just because Peter Jackson came in, Uh, and also. Who's to say if if Michael Lindsay-Hogg was given the remit of producing an eight-hour docu-series <laughs> that he wouldn't have been able to to turn in something, no, true. Uh, you know, that, that shows all of this extra nuance uh, of the situation? But he had a very limited remit to work with, you know.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. And, you know, and also uh, you can see and get back that he's a bit frustrated with the the lack of a Specific brief to work yes. with, and, yeah. and is and is you know sort of trying to come up with it on the fly, you know, right? What, what amphitheater, you know, Greece, Syria, what, what or is <laughs> yeah. just, no, it's Egypt, I think he's saying, right? Or, or Whatever it is, sort of trying to come up with ideas, and actually, you know, he's not really getting it back from the band. One of the nice things, actually, Peter Jackson did uh, was he made really clear he was very gracious about Michael Lindsey Hogg and all his promotion about the whole mm-hmm. thing, uh, but also the film itself, Get Back, m- makes very clear the techniques he employed to shoot the rooftop gig were quite innovative because it he positioned cameras uh, on the other side of the road as well on the buildings on the other side yes, of the road yes that's right yeah and um it, it was it was very very well thought through you mm-hmm. know it's ve- it's very very intricate you know and there there were lots and lots of really good ideas went into it yeah you know? of course and and actually like you know this this footage is so iconic now you know and even like so much parodied you know and, yeah. uh, just because of the clothes they were wearing and things like that you know it's so it's so identifiable and and the way that michael lindsey hogg shot that footage is it, like he, he he you know he deserves an enormous amount of credit for having done that oh,
1: you know. one, one thing we haven't said yet that this is the latest film that follows our beatles films trope that ends on a rooftop. I mean it's it's the, <laughs> the main, it's the, main the main originator <laughs> yeah, yeah, of, yeah. of that trope. Yeah, true. Um true. but we need to add it to the list. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But but that trope is a trope for a reason and that starts yeah. with, uh, with with Michael Lindsay Hogg capturing that in the first place, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> one of the things that I wondered when I was watching this film is we, we see a fair bit of Yoko yeah. in, in the movie and When I think when we do see her, she's a little bit more of uh, a—I don't want to say unwelcome presence, but Mm. like it seems like she she does seem to be more in the way in this film than we now have come to understand from Get Back. Yeah. Um, When we see her, she's either directly between Lennon and McCartney, Mm. or she's sort of standing up, or sort of you know, uh, for want of a better word, lurking. (laughs) <laughs> um yeah. and uh we don't really see her necessarily we don't see her engage with anyone at all, I don't think. I think there's one shot of her laughing at something that yeah. John says. Yeah, yeah. Uh on the whole, she just appears very, very distant throughout the whole yeah. recording sessions. I think yeah. in Get Back, we see her you know a little bit more engaged with other people, we see her talking to Linda, we see her knitting. Yeah. There's a bit more of a uh, a nicer uh, view of of her and her her presence in that room, mm. but in Let It Be, she does seem like she shouldn't belong in the film. I think, and I, I wonder if this this film has helped to sort of perpetuate that negative reputation that Yoko has. You know, this uh, by sort of consciously or subconsciously framing her in the way that it does i wonder if it's helped with the overall sort of negative depictions of yoko uh, that have emerged since the film came out
0: yes maybe i think one of the things when get back came out uh, one of the first main reactions that everyone had was um oh everyone said that yoko was always interfering and trying to take over the band and split them up or whatever but she just sits there knitting most of yeah. the time you know and so that made me think that, oh, a Let It Be must show her interfering a lot more. And it doesn't at all. No, so, not at all. Yeah. But, uh, but you are right. And so, I mean, I mean, by the way, the conclusion we should draw from that is that, that the supposedly negative and the supposedly positive films both show her not interfering at all. Yeah. Probably she therefore didn't interfere at all. Yes. Like, that's a pretty reasonable conclusion. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, you're
1: right. Yeah. Um, but uh, but you're right. In, I, I mean, I will say as a as a counterpoint to that. Both of those films have been signed off by the Beatles. Uh, yes, very true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of course. Yeah. But but I think it's a reasonable assumption to make. Uh, I also think that Get Back has probably had a bit more of a deliberate approach in mind hmm. uh, in how it handles footage of Yoko yes. uh, in trying to deliberately readdress the reputation that she has, but reasonably so. Y- yeah, 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 very reasonably so, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you're right to say
0: uh, that the way she is, not depicted, but it's more the, uh, I don't know whether it's a choice, whether it's conscious or subconscious on Lindsay Hogg's part, but yes, the the fact, as you rightly say, she is often uh, shown sitting between John and Paul, uh, you know, kind of feels symbolic.
1: Yes. Yeah. We, We also know as well, as we discussed in our very first episode, that, uh, in the in Lindsay Hogg's later film, Two of Us, uh, Yoko is very much depicted negatively in that film yes. as a sort of interfering force in John Lennon's life that sort of prevents ultimately prevents uh, him and Paul, you know, uh, reuniting or or doing something creative together again. Yes. Now, I don't think I, I don't think we can say for certain that that is based on uh, any like you say insider knowledge or any personal feelings that he has about yoko at that time that could very easily have been informed by the uh, overall sort of media opinion of of yoko and just trying to sort of uh, trying to conform to the same narrative that has uh, that everyone already has at that time but i do think it means that if Lindsay hogg is guilty of doing that in two of us then he could certainly be accused of being guilty of doing it in this film too
0: yeah i think that's fair yeah, it's it's um so it's not a uh, so again the uh, the counterpoint to the to the counterpoint mm-hmm. is uh, if she did do a lot of interfering and Michael Lindsay Hogg wanted to show a negative depiction of her yeah then he would have showed her interfering more yeah you know? yeah that's true yeah of course uh, but anyway you know this is a debate that we are not going to resolve no it's not us. but I th- I think what's um,
1: interesting is that I think we both sort of fall into the camp of. Yoko Ono for far too long has been seen as a catalyst in the breakup of the Beatles yeah. and that that is an unfair depiction of her. Yeah. Uh I guess I'm just quite interested in uh in whether or not how she pre- is presented in this film sort of helps to uh perpetuate that in the first place. Yes. Um, yeah.
0: So I mean, she is the the way she is shot in this, or the way it is it is edited, depicts her much more. So in in terms of u- using certain close ups, there's mm-hmm. particularly one in which she's very very pale, and I think it's during the point where uh, she and John uh, are both very very pale, uh, possibly because of what they were doing the night before. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's not shying away from that. But yeah, it, I suppose that it, there is a way of uh, show, showing a person uh, as a kind of like so, uh, uh, a figure who is like silently watching proceedings, but doing so in a way that seems slightly oppressive. And I suppose that's probably what what Let It Be is doing, deliberately yeah. or otherwise. That kind of seems to be the impression that's coming across.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. But also, again, it's it probably goes back to what we were saying originally, which is watching this film with the knowledge that this is a band that are about to break up means that you end up applying your own uh sort of narrative on onto this yeah so you can there can be lots of shots of yoko in the room not saying anything and a- appearing to be a bit distant and actually it's it makes sense that people would connect the dots in the wrong way because it fits sort of the, a narrative view that's been sort of you know, explored at a time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I
0: mean, so so much of this is, is down to one's personal. I, I, I'm not, I won't use the word prejudices because I'm not talking about sort of sexism or racism. What I mean mm-hmm. is like one's own sort of personal pre prejudgments of a situation, or yeah. the or the ones that sort of fit fit how you prefer to think about things. There's nothing wrong with that. It's it's how all of it. We all have biases of one kind or another, as with the way that anyone consumes any work of art, really. Mm-hmm your own biases will kind of colour the way that you uh, interpret it. Um, And so I suppose that with Let It Be, uh, yes, I think it probably has contributed overall to that uh, opinion of Yoko Ono. But in the same way, your pre-existing opinion of Yoko Ono probably colours how you think about the film Let It Be. The the two things uh, fulfil each other in a sense.
1: Yes, and and I think... You know, one of the things that we sort of slightly touched upon right at the start was without any context given in the film itself, without any title cards or narration or anything at all, as a viewer, you are almost invited to fill in the gaps yeah. um, yourself with with your own sort of views and opinions because because no one else is there doing it for you and telling you <laughs> to think a certain way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But we should we should spin this around to a positive, because I, I still think, you know, there, there's the, the way to view the film negatively depicting a story, but then there's also the overall sense of the film, which I still think is, is a joyous one. Mm. Um, you know, there's so much about this that we haven't touched on. like All of the lovely footage of uh, young Heather dancing around oh, while yeah, the band of are playing. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, so much of the band just mucking around uh, in between takes and, um, you know, playing silly songs and stuff, making each other laugh. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and uh, overall, you know, the film does do that, that thing of, you know, at the start, it, it's, it appears to be very maudlin, but by the end, it's triumphant. You know, we've, we've heard the band back on form, back on the rooftop, knocking out the hits, and yeah. it's it's you know it's a great way to finish any films. I think overall, it doesn't really deserve that reputation it has of of just being about a miserable time in the band's career.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think they don't seem happy necessarily, but they do seem a lot happier than you've been led to believe. You know, I think it would be really interesting if, with, with the success of Get Back, conversations at Apple must have been had along the lines of. Um, well let's remaster and re-release let it be let's have a look at that and i suppose the conversation will have been like it'll be an interesting counterpoint because they show uh a very you know a very different very different views of how much how well they were getting on at the time and actually presumably someone at apple has then like gone back and rewatched let it be and said Oh, actually, this isn't as this isn't as dire as
1: we thought. No, exactly. Yeah, you know. So, and I completely agree, and and I quite like how when Get Back was released, it was uh, very. It was made very clear that this isn't a remake of Let It Be. This mm-hmm. isn't Let It Be being reedited yes. and rereleased. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think for a time at least, it was being positioned as a making of Let It Be, um, right. which is apt but also hilarious because it's like four times longer than, it, than the thing that it's showing the making of. Right, right, um, yeah, 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 heart of darkness sort of yeah. like, you know, <laughs> yes, that, yeah. that, you know, eight hours long with Apocalypse Now being Yeah, to yeah, to exactly. Paint. But yeah, no, but you're you you know, you're exactly right. I was thinking that earlier, that uh, the, the two are doing the same job. Mm. Uh, I think all, all Peter Jackson is, is doing is he's being given a, a longer running time to work with to to essentially tell the same story which is what he does yeah and uh, and i think possibly let it be probably deserves more credit for having got there first
0: yeah i think so and and in fact maybe what they're now thinking about re-releasing let it be is um is it actually different enough? No, yeah, exactly. Is, that. is, is there great. a value here? In I mean, people buy it, obviously, you yeah, because we buy anything, yes, they bring, yes, we would. <laughs> they, yes. they bring out, but you know, I mean, it, remastering the thing would be great, but then uh, there wouldn't be this sort of y- y- yin and yang thing of like, oh, here, you know, this this is the happy one and this is the sad one. Yeah, I, I think if if you this this film that we've just watched, if you re released it but all digitally restored and looking and sounding wonderful. I think people people's reaction would generally be, um, oh, this is sort of get back redux. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. the
1: same. She's shorter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that probably puts a bit of a, a, a cap on our discussion of Let It Be. I think we've essentially we've come to the conclusion that it is a very short version of Get Back. <laughs> <Yeah. Which> is, <laughs> <laughs> it took two parts, <laughs> two or four episodes to reach that conclusion. But we got there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and what a way to finish uh, the episode, but not only the episode, but the the actual season. Season four is coming to a close. Um, we hope you've enjoyed listening to all of the episodes uh, or any, indeed any of the episodes you may have listened to in this season or or indeed any of our previous seasons. Um, if you have, we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star rating or a review. It really helps uh, other people to discover our podcast on their platforms uh, and also helps us grow a Beatles film community where you all get to talk to each other and discuss the films and watch them and recommend uh, uh, these films to each other and to other people online also if you have seen this film have any thoughts about our discussion of it or anything else you might want to run past us you can contact us on all the usual social media platforms we are at Pod, and otherwise that is a wrap i think i think we're going to leave now i think we're going to leave season four see you around the clubs Bye-bye. I'd like
0: to say thank you on behalf of the podcast and ourselves, and I hope we've passed the audition. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen